Hello everybody, and welcome back to Growing Up With Aaron, and I'm Aaron, but I'm sure you knew that already. I'm here to talk a little bit more about this episode, but I won't keep you long. Uh, it is, a, it's very important to me to talk about mental health awareness. That's one of my biggest, I don't know, passions. Uh, and so while I was trying to find a special guest for a mental health awareness feature, month for May, uh, because May is Mental Health Awareness Month, uh, I wanted to uh, connect with somebody also to talk about different types of trauma therapy as I'm getting prepared to do my own trauma therapy with my therapist. So I was kind of curious about other ones that are out there, and he came along and told me about breathwork. Uh, you may have heard of breathwork, different practices of breathwork. Uh, we were lucky to be able to have Benedict come talk about his experience with breathwork and his practice practice of breathwork. So, yeah, I just for this one episode, this short little mini one is just a little get to know Benedict a little bit more, so you kind of understand who he is as a human and what led him to the practice of breathwork. And in our next episode after this, we will be talking about our 90s TV shows with him. Because, of course, when we have a guest here, that's what we do. That's what we do anyway. Uh, but then after that, on May 1st, we will release the episode that features his complete uh, conversation with us about breathwork along with a demo of breathwork with him. So we're very excited to have this one. I'm very excited for you to hear this. And here we go. And, you know, while getting to know you when we were talking just before uh, you joining, I, of course, listened to you on some other podcasts and videos that uh, you have spoken about breathwork. Uh, and you talked a lot about your journey to breathwork and learning about it. And so I was just hoping if you could just maybe tell us what kind of led you down that path, how you got sure. there. Sure. Be a real pleasure. Well, for myself, you know, we only get one life. We only get one chance at this. And always from a young age, I wanted to make the best that I was given. I wanted to be the best person that I could, not just achieve the biggest things, but I wanted to be the best version of myself. So at some level, I was always searching. I was always seeking. I was always, you know, trying to work out why we were here why I was here and what was I meant to do um but of course life takes us on a different trajectory um although I studied at university some of the you know deeper subjects like philosophy and politics and anthropology is what I finally graduated in in my 20s I got sucked into the in, this was in the 90s by the way into the world of IT which was just then exploding you know, I didn't have a background in IT. I didn't touch a computer till I was 21. But actually, it wasn't that difficult. And I had all these people next to me earning, hmm, you know, probably about $30, $40 an hour, which when I was 21 felt, wow, that's a lot of money. And so I learned very quickly to do that. So in the 90s, uh, in my 20s, I learned to be an IT professional. But I had this other side to me because I didn't want to be an IT professional. You know, who does when they're in their 20s? I wanted to be a rock star. So yes. when I wasn't in a suit going up to these big offices, and I worked for American Express actually for a long time. That was my first proper job. Um, but I worked for 
you know, firms in the city. I worked, I worked all over the world, actually. I worked in Australia and I worked in Bangkok and I worked in, in Germany for big banks, you know, running their IT systems. But when I wasn't doing that, when I wasn't wearing my pinstripe suit, hey, I used to uh, take off my uh, take off my suit, shake out my long blonde hair, and I'll get up on stage and I'll play guitar because I was in a rock band in the nineties and I did all those cool things like um, I made albums and I went on tour. I drank too much, I smoked too much, I partied too much, um, but I had a whale of a time. But there does come a point where you can do that no longer. When I was thirty-one. I burnt out. I got to the end of the road of, you know, being an aging rocker without having really made it, without having appeared at Wembley Stadium or, you know, toured, a, toured the States without having that Billboard Top 100. And the self-loathing I had at, you know, commuting up to London every day, wearing a suit and doing a job that I really hated and just made me turn dead inside, uh, I could do that no more. So at that point, I took a long, hard look in the mirror and I realized not was I just not doing what I was supposed to do. I didn't really like who was staring back at me. I was very vain. I was very selfish. I was very ambitious, but for the wrong reasons. I just was wanting fame and glory. And those are never good reasons to do anything in life. So at that point, well, I made some decisions and I said, you know what, I'm not going to just try and selfishly become famous and successful. I want to do something that is meaningful. So I did two things. First of all, I retrained to be a high school teacher, um, which was one of the most challenging but rewarding journeys that I did. And that was my profession. On the inside though, that internal journey that I went on, um, I trained to be a Buddhist. I spent a lot of time studying Dharma, getting up very early in the morning to do meditations, spending all day reading philosophy and really going, training myself deeply into some, uh, some very powerful techniques. Over quite a long period, I had quite a, a disciplined practice. And so all the way through my 30s, uh, I had this, you know, model existence of being a do-gooder. You know, going off to work at a, a deprived school, giving back to the kids and and then in the evening, really meditating and really finding that kind of calm, zen place. And you know what? That Wouldn't that be lovely to say that was the end of my journey and I found eternal bliss and enlightenment and happy, ha, you know, happiness? Mm -hmm. Never that easy, I'm afraid. There were some more bumps in the road. Yeah, Michael, do you have any questions? Uh... I mean, I, I have some just general life questions mm -hmm. uh, about about teaching and getting burnt out and traveling. Um, had you had you done that before? Had you traveled before? Yeah, I have uh, always been blessed or cursed with itchy feet and an adventurous spirit. So, you know, I spent a lot of my 20s when I wasn't working in IT, when I wasn't making music or... I did a few other things as well. I tried my hand at film producing. I made a couple of shorts and a feature film, which, again, weren't very good. Um, I spent a lot of time traveling. In my 20s and the 90s, it was uh, uh, Asia is where I spent mm -hmm. a lot of my time in, you know, in Thailand and um, Indonesia, where it was very cheap <laughs> to travel around. But, you know, such a, a, a great place to immerse yourself. 
before the internet where you really could go out into the world and get lost. You yeah. know, I, you know, for those people who have heard of the Copanyang and the full moon parties, I was there before there was any roads before, yeah. you know, when it was just like three shacks on a, on And it a wasn't a rave. And it wasn't a rave. It was something very, very different. And uh, yeah, I did some, I did a lot of uh, adventuring in my twenties and then it got a little bit less in my thirties or a bit more sporadic as I had a career job, but I still managed the odd adventure here and there. And were you single that whole time? Um, I steered clear of long-term relationships because I never found the right person. And I didn't until I was ready. I was very fortunate in that. And I, I think there was something in me that really avoided commitment um, because I knew it wasn't going to be sustainable or I hadn't found the right person or maybe I wasn't the right person. So I had a couple of, um, you know, 12-month relationships um, that ended badly and didn't work out um you know with hearts broken but they weren't right for me and i wasn't right for them so most of the time i was single yeah were you scared when you were traveling did you have a fear or um you know as myself i haven't done really any traveling i've done just a smidgen and um i know that the world when i was traveling we'll say 2012 and through 15 like it was uh you know post 9 11 iraq war war in afghanistan like terrorism is top of mind kind of stuff and now we're living in this uh covid post-covid kind of world um, was when you were traveling in your 20s was there anything going on that you had to be fearful of Oh, what great question. You know, I just um, had a holiday in Mexico and there were so many warnings about traveling in Mexico. Virtually everywhere was like, don't go, don't go. There's you're going to get kidnapped. But it was fine whilst I was there. There was there was always, you know, some issues in some like Thailand's. They were always having coups. The big one I remember was when I was in Indonesia in 1998. There was a revolution and a coup going on. And I was sort of a couple of days ahead of the riot. So whenever I left a city or a town, suddenly it erupted into violence. And I got to um, a little island called Timor, which if you're into history, you may remember got its independence after quite a bloody civil war, sort of, you know, 20 years ago. But it was off limits to foreigners um, then. And I landed up there. And then the person, the hotel that I was saying, they pretty much marched me to the airport and put me on this tiny little plane going over to Australia. I never felt in danger though, and I will be i will be absolutely clear, I never ever felt in any physical danger. I felt more danger on a Saturday night, you know, when all the pubs were closing in the UK, that was far more threatening, going, you know, up to, you know, coming out clubs, you know, half cut is mm -hmm. always more risky than anywhere else I've been in the world. So I've never really felt any real threat i think even in you know the, the current times which are difficult you know pandemic you know obviously the tensions in uh you know with russia at the moment is is, is having huge knock-on effect throughout the world but i i've never felt in any particular danger but that might just be because i'm very blase myself <laughs> i'm not that sensitive well if you go looking for trouble too you know you're going to find it but if you're going through the world with more of a peaceful 
in, in a curious way about you. Uh, people tend to pick up on that. Yeah, you kind of, you know, get what you're looking for. Like, I was never going out trying to score drugs or, you know, pick up hookers or, you know, any of that slightly illegal, gray, kind of dodgy kind of stuff that, you know, didn't exist for me. I was a tourist there to spend money. Everyone wants to be your friend in that situation. Mm -hmm. I wasn't a mug, so people weren't trying to rip me off um, either, or I wasn't going to get involved in scams. But generally, my experience was, you know, People are very generous, very helpful, very thoughtful, especially in the non-Western countries, actually. Yeah. Sometimes you go to places and you're like a rock star. You know, I've been to places that haven't had much um, connection with the Western world. And, of course, you get all the children following you and, you know, you give out some sweets or some pencils and you feel like you're, you know, a world leader coming to town, uh, which for many people is uncomfortable. I, of course, loved it. You got to be a, a rock star after yeah, all. Yeah, I did actually finally get to be a rock star. You uh, you had said when uh, we started chatting about growing up and feeling very much like a, a spiritual individual mm. or you felt um, uh, a, a pull in that kind of direction. Uh, were you raised in, in the church? Um, what's your uh, family background? Uh, that's another really interesting question that you asked, Michael, actually. So um, this is going to shock a few people because there's a big difference in North America and Europe here. But I was raised a Quaker. Now, Quakers in the UK or in Europe or in the rest of the world are very, very different to the Quakers in um, North America. So here they can be a very kind of extreme Christian group. They can you know, be very like non-conformist and like stick to ways from 300 years ago they can be religious very intolerant as my been experienced they can be very bigoted very you know anti-gay anti-whatever it is the absolute opposite in europe out of all the kind of quasi christian quasi christian religions quakerism is the most liberal it is the most open and accepting so i know quaker buddhists i know quaker shaman i know quaker catholics because in in europe what ties a quakers together is how they worship which is they sit in silence for an hour there's no ministry there's no music there's no priesthood there's no dogma there's no holy book all it is is people coming together and sitting in the silence of spirit and maybe feeling called to speak and that's all it is so there's no ethics that you have to abide by there's no hate speech against you know lbtq um SI, anything like that, or political intolerance, it is just a really lovely, open way to worship. And my mother and my grandfather, they were they were very much involved in the labor movement, for instance, many Quakers. Um, they were against the abolition, they're the first people to come out against the abolition of the slave trade in the sort of late 18th century. They were very into prison reform. Um, the Quakers were at the front of landmines in the 1970s and 1980s for instance before you know everyone else cottoned onto that so quakers are the most liberal um religious well they're not even religious really kind of spiritual um, church or kind of movement in in europe and i grew up in that so i've always been very open uh, to a spirit or a non-material existence if you like so i don't have any vision of god you know, I don't believe in the Christian God. I, I don't have any belief in a kind of 
particular order, but I am open to non-material experiences, experiences of spirit and soul and connection. You know, I describe things usually in terms of energy, which is which is kind of a bit more accepting than, you know, talking about angels and, um, you know, the light of God, for instance, that, that puts me off. But when you talk about, you know, the energy and, you know, the, the subtle ways that we can connect and, uh, you know, the, the kind of emotional um, connections that we have, that I find much more powerful for me for personally is what kind of lights me up a little bit more. But I do credit that kind of openness to um, yeah, spirit has been very fundamental for many of my atheist friends or friends who grew up in, you know, just traditionally non-believing atheist families uh, have a, a much harder journey with accepting something more than just the physical plane of existence, the accepting that we are more than just skin and bones, because their natural reaction is anything that isn't properly empirical or measurable or studyable is mumbo jumbo, is nonsense. And it's all going to lead back to some horrible, you know, quasi authoritarian church, which is going like, to squash everyone down and put everyone in, into a box. Generally, that's my experience. Um, people come from a very strong atheist background are much more material and struggle a little bit more with a non-physical aspect of being human. Wow, fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. I um, was hearing you talking about like the very conservative type of a religion, like, you know, we deal with here in America very much uh, like... I know I have a very interesting relationship with religion myself. Um, and I really like that you shared about how you don't believe in like God in that traditional sense. And I agree. And mostly it's because I don't like being a part of a religion and something that's going to, an organization that's going to tell me how I'm supposed to believe in practice. Sure. Yeah. It's common sense really, isn't it? Yeah. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, and thank you to, of course, my co-hosts. Uh, and thank you to Benedict Beaumont for joining us. Uh, this is not the end of the conversation with Benedict, as I said before. This is just the beginning. We will, next episode, we will be talking about some 90s British television shows. Uh, and following that, on May 1st, we will release the Breathwork episode where we actually get in depth we actually dive deep into uh, Benedict's uh, practice of breathwork along with a demo but until then we'll talk to you later <laughs>